My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. He was a Vietnam veteran fighting for his life. He came home with some demons to battle. She was the loving partner who helped him find his way. She stood by him and was able to take care of him. For nearly three decades, they remained inseparable until an unthinkable betrayal destroyed their union. She was laying on her back, not too far from her vehicle. There looked to be some sort of struggle. Homicide investigators quickly uncover a web of suspicions and salacious rumors. Some of the allegations were quite disturbing. She never made any bones about the fact that they were having an affair. They were hiding in closets and different things, and it was starting to disrupt the workforce there. When the case finally comes to a close, it will expose an unlikely mastermind of a sinister plot. The irony of dying at the hands of someone that she was trying to help all the way up until her death, it's kind of heartbreaking. She wasn't going to let anything stop her. We were in total disbelief and shock. August 9th, 2002, Lincoln County, Missouri. It's a quiet Friday afternoon in this small town just north of St. Louis until a flood of 911 calls ring into the sheriff's office. Some witnesses had called in to law enforcement and dispatch and notified officers that there was someone who was lying on the ground in the commuter lot positioned at the intersection of Highway B and 61. One of the witnesses passing by made the assumption it was a suicide. 
Within minutes, sheriff's deputies respond to the scene. A vehicle was parked facing towards the highway, kind of the middle of the parking lot, and car door was open, and there was a large pool of what appeared to be blood. Witnesses observed, as well as law enforcement, that there was someone with a massive head wound, what appeared to be a gunshot, who was laying on the ground. She was laying not too far from her vehicle, towards the front of her vehicle. The vehicle was still running. Authorities quickly determined that the victim is deceased, but none of the 911 callers saw what happened to her. They thought maybe it was a suicide at that point. It was my understanding that when they found her body, she had a work uniform on from her employer, and on that was her work identification. The badge identifies the victim as 56-year-old Ruth Ann Madden, a housekeeping supervisor at a nearby medical center. Upon identifying the victim on the commuter lot based on her work ID, uniformed officers in the Missouri State Highway Patrol responded to her husband's house to make death notification. This is common, and usually the first step is notifying next of kin. Ruth Ann's husband is 52-year-old Andrew Madden. Andy was wheelchair bound. When they arrived, he was out front. They said, unfortunately, we have to tell you your wife is deceased. He put out his cigarette kind of calmly and then dropped his face down into his hands and began crying. And he wanted to find out what happened to his wife, how this could have happened. Born on December 17, 1945, Ruth Ann Scott was always a caregiver. She was just sweet and reserved. Um, you could tell she cared about people. She was a warm individual. She was the uh, oldest of 11 children. She would be that person that, you know, that helped raise quite a few of the siblings. She was so family-oriented, was just uh, a very kind and nurturing person. In her 20s, Ruth Ann fell in love with a young soldier named Andrew Madden. Andy Madden was a former service member of the US Army. Uh, he was a veteran of the uh, Vietnam War. He was a tank mechanic. He did uh, see significant action during his tour in, in, in Vietnam, and it left an emotional toll on him. He came home with some demons to battle. But once he got to know you, and once you got to know him, he actually really good friend. Ruth Ann married Andy in 1975 and settled down in Eolia, Missouri. She worked in housekeeping at a hospital while Andy operated heavy machinery at a quarry in Lincoln County. They were always together. She was always concerned about his well-being and if everything was all right. There was something particularly cute about the two of them, and everybody enjoyed them being around. But as the years passed, Andy's health deteriorated. His health was not that good. He was a sick man, very sick man. Andy was in a wheelchair. He was able to walk. So sometimes his balance gets in the issue, and that's what the chair's for. Cancers, especially the treatment from cancer, they rob the body of a lot of strength. 
His problem seemed more with strengthening his legs. Unable to continue his job at the quarry, Andy struggled with the physical and emotional fallout. The military makes you a strong individual. Your strengths are a major part of your life. When those things leave you, it's, it's hard to deal with. Despite Andy's failing health, Ruth Ann stuck by his side. And in 1997, she accepted a full-time job as a housekeeping manager at Lincoln County Medical Center to support the both of them. She stood by him and was able to take care of him and continued to take care of him, continued to work at the same time. Ruth Ann did what she could, but more help was needed. The Veterans Administration went ahead and supplied him a uh, home health care aide by the name of Karen Clowers to assist in everyday duties such as uh, clothing, medicine, bathing, and whatnot as needed. For the Maddens, having healthcare worker Karen Clowers in their home made a huge difference. She was helping with house chores and making sure he was taking his medicine and making him something to eat and stuff while Ruth was out working. The relationship, to my understanding, with uh, Karen Clowers and uh, Ruth Ann Madden was a good one. They would talk a lot. They would hang together. Even after she got off, she would stay. She would, uh, it, it was a friendship relationship with all three. It seemed Ruth Ann and Andy had finally found a good balance. But little did they know, their time together was running out. Now, on August 9th, 2002, state troopers have just informed Andy Madden that his wife, Ruth Ann Madden, has been found dead in a commuter parking lot. He was upset. A couple times he broke down. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Andy. I, I'm so sorry. I mean, I can't imagine what you're going through. While Andy processes his grief, detectives arrive at the crime scene. Initially, it was reported that it was possibly a suicide, but really quickly it, it was starting to unfold that that was clearly not a suicide. Right away, we start thinking, this doesn't smell right. We don't have a weapon at the scene. It was gone, clear headshot, left running by her car, IDs on her shirt. Something happened immediate and quick. At that point, it was obvious uh, that this was a homicide. Coming up, investigators find evidence of a desperate struggle for survival. There was actually human hairs clenched in her hand that looked to be that she either tried to, to stop her assailant or grab onto her assailant. And Ruth Ann's husband gives investigators their first lead. He mentioned that she had been receiving threatening and harassing phone calls and death threats. This whole thing was very bizarre. On August 9th, 2002, authorities in Lincoln County, Missouri, are processing the scene where 56-year-old Ruth Ann Madden has been found murdered in a commuter parking lot near her home. A homicide in this particular community is extremely rare. You have thefts, maybe somebody steals a car, or breaks into a house, but to have someone brutally shot point blank in the face in a commuter lot, it shocks the conscience. Investigators talk to bystanders who have gathered at the scene of the crime. 
including a young couple that saw a suspicious vehicle leaving the parking lot that afternoon. It just so happens that this gentleman, uh, Randy, was driving westbound on Highway E, and this car comes screaming out in front of him to the point where I think he almost had to take some sort of evasive action, and that drew his attention to the commuter lot where he saw the, the body on the commuter lot. Suspecting the other driver might have been involved in a crime, Randy decided to give chase. This individual made a, a U-turn and, and actually attempted to chase this vehicle down northbound 4061, but it was traveling in excess of 85, 90 miles an hour. I guess the uh, witness realized that, hey, this is getting too dangerous. You know, to them, it wasn't worth it. So they shut back down, responded back to the commuter lot, wherein they met deputies and gave them their statement. Unfortunately, at the time, they did not get the license plate. The witness was more focused on identifying the driver of the car, but he did give us a spectacular description of the vehicle. Investigators immediately issue a bolo for a white Chevy Lumina sedan with tinted windows. But without a license plate number, authorities are looking for a needle in a haystack. Initially, we really didn't have a lot to go on when we formed up. In an effort to act fast, the Sheriff's Office seeks help from the multi-agency Major Case Squad of Greater St. Louis. You have anywhere from 25 to 30 detectives from all over bringing all different kinds of experience. And one of the benefits of that is the kind of, for lack of better words, brainstorming. You know, like, what do you think? What, what does this look like to you? One of the scenarios was, well, was this a carjacking or a robbery that went bad? But then you start looking at some of the other factors and like, well, you know, her purse is left in the car. Is that a robbery? It's probably not. We noted a gunshot wound to the side of the head and an exit wound. We did not locate a projectile. And that absolutely would lead us to either believe that the person was, whoever was responsible for the crime, was aware enough to clean up after themselves or that they had used a revolver. And in that case, no shell casing would have been ejected. Investigators collect several items from the area, including a soft drink bottle and multiple cigarette butts. You don't know, is this a, an important piece of evidence or is it just clutter? So they were uh, seizing those cigarette butts that they found. It was a Doral brand cigarette. Upon closer examination of Ruth Ann's body, Investigators find evidence that she might have tried to fight off her killer. There looked to be some sort of struggle because there was actually human hairs found in Ruth Ann's hand, clenched in her hand, that looked to be that she either tried to stop her assailant or grab onto her assailant. Those hair follicles were seized as evidence and forwarded for DNA analysis. Detectives request Ruth Ann's phone records, hoping they will shed some light on what happened. But getting the results will take time. While they're waiting, they ask the local community for help. We need the public to help us police. Two minutes of someone's life could save countless hours of investigators' time and maybe possibly save somebody's life before it's too late. I first heard that they found her body was on the news. And then when I, then when they said their name, I was thinking, oh no, it couldn't be the same. 
It just made no sense to me. It would seem like she had no business being there unless she was meeting somebody there because where they lived was at least another 10 or 15 minutes north from where she was found. While investigators wait for potential tips to roll in, they drive out to the Madden home to speak further with Ruth Ann's husband, Andy. Traditional police work would lead you to believe that you always have to look at the spouse first. I said, would you have time to talk with me alone? And he said, sure, I would, I would very much like to help you. I want to find out who did this to my wife. And I'm like, OK, this is a good start. Investigators ask Andy where he was earlier in the afternoon. He says he had been with his caretaker all day. He had mentioned that Karen Clowers was with him the whole day until approximately 5 PM. Andy provides detectives with contact information for Karen Clowers so they can verify his alibi. But before contacting Karen, detectives ask Andy if Ruth Ann had any enemies outside or inside the home. He described their marriage as the perfect marriage, no problems whatsoever, never alluded to any type of problems on the marriage front. Obviously, a question is asked, do you have any idea of who may want to have harmed your wife? And immediately, he mentioned that she had been receiving threatening and harassing phone calls and death threats. Ruth had been receiving threatening phone calls at home and at work, and she was kind of on, I guess, what I would say maybe high alert. One of the calls was to Andy himself, and it, it sounded somewhat like a female voice stating that his wife was having an affair. Hey, your wife is cheating on you. We thought you need to know. This whole thing was very bizarre. Investigators want to know who was calling Ruth Ann and why they were harassing her. Initially, Ruth Ann suspected the calls may have been coming from a coworker. She would tell Andy that people at work are, are messing with me, and she was scared of it. Andrew believes the calls may have come from a former coworker of Ruth Ann's named Betty. Ruth Ann had a supervisory position at the hospital. She was in charge of housekeeping. And there was a female employee who was a subordinate of hers. According to Andrew, Ruth Ann had moved Betty to the night shift. This ended up upsetting Betty and prompted her to call, but not to threaten murder, but just to stop meddling with my life she subsequently resigned. Andrew says he and Ruth Ann quickly reported the calls to the Troy Police Department. Miss Madden and Andrew Madden had taken steps to try to track where these phone calls were coming from. Law enforcement ended up following up on some of those leads, but none of them really went anywhere. Andrew provided us with four or five phone numbers that he said he had captured from his caller ID. Now, investigators wonder, could workplace tensions have led to murder? We wanted to get to the bottom of it. We're going to find a person that's responsible. Coming up, an illicit and brazen affair is revealed. They're alone all day, all day long. And I know she set her sights on him. And detectives find their biggest piece of evidence yet. We're like, does that look like the vehicle that you saw fleeing the crime scene? And they were 100% sure that, like, yeah, that's the vehicle.
As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com. That's n o o m.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Just hours after Ruth Ann Madden was found murdered in a commuter parking lot, her husband has implicated one of Ruth Ann's co-workers, who allegedly made some harassing phone calls in recent weeks. Andy Madden holds firm that whoever it is making these threatening phone calls must have been involved somehow. Investigators contact Ruth Ann's supervisor at the Lincoln County Medical Center to learn more about Ruth Ann's problems with a former coworker named Betty. He had said that Ruth Ann had come to him and mentioned that other employees had mentioned that two of her subordinates were having an extramarital affair. They were hiding in closets and different things, and it was starting to disrupt the workforce there. They decided the best course of action would be to separate them on the work schedule. Once the participant in that affair, Betty, was notified that her shift would be changed because of her behavior, she was very upset. According to the supervisor, Betty quit her job on July 25th. Around the same time, Ruth Ann received the harassing phone calls. Some of the allegations uh, raised as to the comments on the phone calls were quite disturbing. Some of those alluded to the fact that she was going to have her throat slit, that she was going to be beaten and thrown into the Quiver River. Her supervisors took those threats seriously enough that they assigned her security to walk her back and forth from her car. Investigators work quickly to contact Betty at her home in Troy, Missouri, and ask her where she was on August 9th. She said her car had been in the shop for quite some time, specifically during that time period and days before and after. Betty gives detectives receipts from the car repair shop, as well as contact information for friends who can verify her alibi. 
when we investigated that, it turned out she had a really good alibi and was, was not anywhere near the crime scene during that time. Detectives use one more piece of evidence to eliminate Betty as a suspect, a tape recording provided by Andrew Madden. I believe it was upon the advice of law enforcement that they were to record these phone calls, which they had. So law enforcement, they had a sample of the voice of the person who was making these phone calls. Troy Police Department turned over some of the calls. There was an analysis uh, done between Betty's voice and the calls, and it became pretty clear that that wasn't her. As investigators strike Betty from the suspect list, a lead comes in from one of Andrew Madden's neighbors. Apparently, he is an avid scanner listener, monitors police traffic, and he hears, because it's broadcast after the murder, that law enforcement is looking for a white Chevy Lumina. He says, look, the Chevy Lumina that you're looking for happens to be the type of vehicle driven by Karen Clowers, who's the caretaker of Mr. Madden. So law enforcement, once they had this information, they need to know what's going on with Karen Clowers. Born in 1957 in Louisiana, Missouri, Karen Dowell had a troubled youth, leading to a teenage pregnancy. What I heard was she got married because she was pregnant, but then gave the baby up for adoption. The marriage didn't last, and Karen moved on with her life. By 1980, when another relationship failed to pan out, Karen found herself a single mother of two. They got a divorce at some point. While Karen had been unlucky in love, that all changed when she met her next husband, John Clowers. She was extremely happy with their relationship, their marriage. Karen thought she was like secure financially, home, that type of stuff. I don't think she was worried about finances or anything. She worked on and off as a waitress, and then she did the home health care stuff. In early 2002, 45-year-old Karen Clowers started working for Andrew and Ruth Ann Madden. Then, in May of that year, after 17 years of marriage, her husband, John, suddenly passed away. To my knowledge, it was natural causes John provided for them all. So that was a huge loss right there. Now, three months after the death of her husband, investigators wonder if Karen Clowers is connected to another tragic event, the murder of Ruth Ann Madden. Highway Patrol ends up going out to go to her house and taking the two witnesses who viewed the Lumina to see if they could identify the vehicle. We're like, here's this vehicle over here. Does that look like the vehicle that you saw fleeing the crime scene? And they were 100% sure that, like, yeah, that's the vehicle. Investigators request a search warrant for Karen's house and car. But they will have to wait until morning to conduct a legal search. Detective Plum and I set up surveillance on Karen's house and vehicle the entire night. While we were waiting, the neighbor of Karen Clowers comes out to us and tells us that she's aware of the white Chevy Lumina being wanted in relationship to this homicide, and then alerts us that Andy frequents Karen's house daily. 
she had noted that Andy Madden did come and visit uh, Karen at her home and thought that it was suspicious that he was parking his truck in her garage and then taking his wheelchair to come around to the front door to go in and visit. We asked, what time was the vehicle there yesterday? And she clearly noted that it had left about 2 and did not return until around 7 PM. Investigators note that this time frame fits the time of Ruth Ann's murder, which was around 4 PM. The Chevy Lumina was driven by Karen Clowers, and it left at a certain time, and then it returns at, at a certain time. And it builds that window for her to participate in the crime. After speaking to Karen's neighbor, detectives call Andrew Madden into the station for an interview that night. It was asked, hey, do you think Karen may have possibly had something to do with this? And he quickly jumped on it, no, no way, she's not involved. When we got in the interview and we told him about that, Karen owned a, a white Chevy Lumina. He started coming up with a timeline. He, she, she couldn't have done this because she was with me to such and such time to such and such time. His responses in the defense of Karen were much more genuine and much more stern and very, very direct, similar to what you would do defending a, a family member or a loved one. So we knew something wasn't right there. It wasn't, you don't defend a professional relationship the way that he was defending Karen. We asked him when he last spoke with his wife, and he quickly said 3.38 PM, which the detectives actually noted that and go, well, how do you know specifically 3.38? And he had mentioned he had looked at the time on his cell phone. It seemed like he had manipulated his story and whatever evidence he had to cover for Karen Clowers. Coming up, investigators put their prime suspect under pressure. We parked right by where the crime scene was at. We just wanted to see with what way this would make her go emotionally. There's things that your body reacts to that's almost better than a confession. She's singing like a canary, but it's not about her. On the morning of August 10th, 2002, less than 24 hours since Ruth Ann Madden was found shot to death in a parking lot near her house, law enforcement executes a search warrant at the home of Karen Clowers. We kind of got her out of the way of the investigators and off into a bedroom and began to speak with her. At that point, she acted as if she had no idea whatsoever uh, that she had died. I said, you know, have you have you spoken to Andy? And she's like, oh yeah, he did mention that Ruth Ann had been murdered. No one forgets that you've been told someone has died. No one forgets that. That's when Karen makes a startling confession. She never made any bones about the fact that she was in love with Andy and uh, that they were having an affair. It wasn't like that was a big secret. They were alone all day long and I guess Karen liked the way Andy was treating her. I know she set her sights on Andy Madden. While detectives continue the interview with Karen, law enforcement search her house and car and discover potentially incriminating evidence. In the vehicle of note, they found packages of Durrell cigarettes. And again, Durrell cigarette butts were found on the commuter lot. We suggested that she go back with us to the sheriff's department for a more private interview uninterrupted, and she agreed. 
On the way, investigators decide to take a strategic detour. Marshall and I came to the agreement, like, let's let's take her back to the crime scene and let's 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 see what happens. We allowed her out of the car and parked right by where the crime scene was at. And we just wanted to see with what way this would make her go emotionally. As we're walking up towards where the actual crime took place, she just leans over and vomits all over the place. The human body is amazing. There's things that you just, it, when you're put under stress, there's things that your body reacts to that's almost better than a confession. Marshall and I, we got her calmed down, put her back in the car, and continued on to the sheriff's department. And I remember her saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you everything. At the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, Karen Clowers starts talking. She's singing like a canary, uh, but it's not about her. Do you remember having a conversation with anyone concerning Ruth Bam? John Lewis from Louisiana. Who is John Lewis to you? My son-in-law. What did you talk about? I was telling him that I was in love with Andy Bam. I wish there was somebody that I could have them all the time. Like, Andy and Ruth Ann get a divorce or like get separated. And he said he could think of a way to get her out of the picture. Karen tells investigators that on August 9th, John Lewis showed up unexpectedly. He picked my car up at Andy's house. Andy Madden's house? Yes said that he needed to use my car. About what time was that? From between two and three. When uh, John left the house, how long was he gone? Over an hour or more. And what did he say to you when he got out of the car? Just taking care of, just don't keep my mouth shut. Well, I'll for it later on. So we're initially thinking like, okay, our guy is John Lewis. Detectives respond immediately to John's home. What was noteworthy is how angry John Lewis became once the finger had been pointed at him. He's like, heck no, that is not how this happened. Investigators bring John to the station for a formal interview. Since you gave me money, if I was to meet her out there, at the time, that's basically what she said. She wanted the thing dead. How much money? Five thousand. I just took some money and paid some of my bills off. So you let her leave? Yeah, I'll take care of it. Basically. And according to John, he had no intentions of hurting or doing anything to Ruth Ann. He was just figuring, okay, if you're gonna give me five thousand dollars, I'm just gonna go out and spend it and not really worry about it. Because what are you gonna do? Go tell somebody that you gave me five thousand dollars to to murder someone? How's it supposed to be that you're only going to make a break in the house? This house in Yoli, Missouri. Yeah, she was upset. She just lost five grand. And what she wanted done didn't get that. So, you know, she kept coming over and wanting it done, wanting it done. I kept telling her, no, no, no. And like I said, when she caught me with the no thousand, I said, yeah, I'll meet you out. And that's how we met up after three o'clock. John says Karen's plan was to call Ruth Ann Madden, claim she was stranded in the commuter lot, and ask for help. I understand that John drove a truck 
Karen drove the car out to the commuter parking lot, popped the hood. John walked across and met Karen behind the trunk. There was an old family firearm from her ex-husband. Karen had John show her exactly how to use this pistol. It's a revolver. He clocks the hammer back, which makes it extremely easy to pull the trigger. Doesn't require any real power to have to pull the trigger. It'll go off really quickly. Sets it down in the trunk of the vehicle. At that time, he chickens out, decides, I don't want any part of this. He told her, you know, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I'm not. And Karen's like, wait a minute, you're going to do it. Well, he didn't do it. He gave the gun to Karen. When he saw Ruth Ann pull onto the lot, he ducked down between two parked cars. It's panic time, I'm sure. Couldn't imagine how that felt back there behind that open trunk lid. And then what happened, Karen? You know, she's turning around in front of like she's doing something. She's got the gun in her hand. Ruth Ann shows up. She gets out of her car, and she proceeds to walk towards Karen. She said, oh, did you find out what's wrong with Karen? I said, yeah, it was about to pull the gun. I'm sorry. It's a shocking story, but John isn't done talking. He said Andy was in on it and agreed to make the phone call to lure her in there. Hey, they are broke down on this commuter lot. Can you come by, see if you can help them? I don't believe at all that Ruth Ann knew that Karen and Andy were developing a romantic relationship. And uh, unfortunately, it was, it was too late when she probably figured that out. We have to wonder whether or not when he called to tell Ruth Ann to drive out to Karen's vehicle, if he knew or should have known that he was sending her to her death. Certainly, he recognized that whatever he was calling to send her into was not going to turn out well. Coming up, investigators unravel the details of a twisted conspiracy. She was instructed to cover the mouthpiece up and talk in a deep and threatening voice. And the truth behind the tragedy of Ruth Ann Madden's murder becomes even more horrific. She wasn't going to let anything stop her. Only one day after the murder of Ruth Ann Madden, investigators have made their first arrest in the case. John Lewis, the son-in-law of Karen Clowers. They've gotten statements from John Lewis, and he gets charged with murder first, which is the highest uh, possible charge you can possibly get for a, for a homicide. Now, investigators have their sights set on John's co-conspirators, starting with Ruth Ann's own husband, Andrew Madden. We interviewed Andy, and at that point, you know, it was clear that Andy was involved, and he was brought down. And I really think Andy's the one that kind of laid out the whole thing. I called Ruth Ann, and I told her that I had sent Karen to give me a piece of angle on But her car had broke down, and she was parked in that little turn off. Sometime after that, Karen called me and told me that they had took care of me. God help me. I was stupid. Because I could have done something else. I could have got a divorce. I always thought of myself as being a proud, upstanding citizen. And to 
let myself be manipulated into doing something like this. I don't know what was wrong with me, but I did love my wife. In another kind of way, I loved Karen. He talked about initially just how quickly he fell in love with Karen, and Karen fell in love with him. And it was a, a type of situation you describe as like, a, well, this was meant to be. This was this was what you were meant to do. He was willing to go have his wife come to that commuter parking lot, knowing that Karen was going to kill her. And that's the sad truth. Why didn't you stop him? I don't know. With statements in hand from her lover, Andrew Madden, and her son-in-law, John Lewis, investigators confront Karen Clowers. Karen eventually confesses to shooting Ruth Ann, although in her story, she says that the gun accidentally went off, that she never really meant to kill her. One piece of evidence seems to contradict her story. How do we account for the hair in Ruth Ann's hand? I believe that, that Ruth Ann and Karen met. Karen pulled the gun, and, and Ruth Ann probably startled, was like, you know, hey, what's going on, and struggled a little bit with her. And then the gun went off. The only people that know exactly what happened in that respect is John and Karen. Authorities charge both 45-year-old Karen Clowers and 52-year-old Andrew Madden with first-degree murder. He called me, and he just basically said that I'm going to hear some things about him, and he's embarrassed, and he's sorry for everything that I'm about to hear. Myself and those of us who spent a lot of time with Andrew were in total disbelief and shock. Next, law enforcement issues a search warrant of John Lewis's home where they run into an unlikely ally, Karen's daughter. We provided her a copy of the search warrant, which had the affidavit for probable cause. She is reading the probable cause and notes that Karen said her husband's the one that did this. And at that point, she blurts out, he had nothing to do with this, and then went on to explain her involvement. Karen's daughter tells investigators that she was the one who made the harassing phone calls to Ruth Ann Madden. But she claims she didn't know who she was calling at the time. She admits that her mother, Karen, directed her to make these harassing phone calls uh, from various pay phones. And she was instructed to cover the mouthpiece up and talk in a deep and threatening voice. Karen Clowers was careful to not allow her daughter to see what number she was dialing, but gave her specific instructions as to what to say, how to say it. When she asked her mom, look, what is this all about? Her mother says, it was, it was an argument that happened at a bar after work and, you know, offers this weak explanation for these threatening phone calls. In November 2003, Andy Madden pleads guilty to second-degree murder. I think the worst part about it was that her own husband of, of all those years made the phone call to lure her into her own death. What he did made no sense. Is he a cold-blooded, heartless killer? No. So I just think that he had a lapse of good, sound judgment and clarity. It 
shocks the conscience that, that people can be that brutal to each other. John Lewis also agrees to plead guilty to a charge of conspiracy to commit murder. I think from what we put together, he was probably supposed to be the trigger man, so to speak, and changed his mind. On December 2nd, 2003, the case against Karen Clowers begins in a Lincoln County courtroom. Karen says he kept chickening out, and I just had to do it myself. She had it set in her mind that she was going to do it, and it was going to happen no matter what. All that she cared about, regardless of the ramifications, regardless of the aftermath, all she cared about was her one singular goal, which was to be with Andy. Two days into her murder trial, Karen Clowers has a change of heart and pleads guilty to Class A felony murder in the second degree. I think the writing might have been on the wall. She realized that there was nothing that she was going to be able to do to get out of being found guilty. The murder of Ruth Ann Madden still lingers in the hearts of everyone connected to the case. It's been almost 20 years since this happened, and I assure you, there's still ripple effects that are causing problems in the lives of the, of the people that are left behind. Karen destroyed so many families and so many lives that I can't even count. My kids are the most important thing to me in my life, and Karen has hurt their life and is still hurting their life today. The stigma of like, hey, my grandmother or my mom murdered this lady, she masterminded this plan, that follows you around. Just because somebody is related or knows somebody that is convicted of a murder, that doesn't make them a murderer. If she would have come up to us and approached us for murder, it would have been straight to the police department. The irony of Ruth Ann dying at the hands of someone that she was trying to help all the way up until her death, it's kind of heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. John Lewis was sentenced to 15 years for his role in the crime. Andrew Madden is currently serving a 30-year prison sentence in the Missouri Department of Corrections. Karen Clowers was sentenced to life in prison. In 2011, she died in prison at the age of 54. Karen's daughter was never charged in connection to the crime. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.